kickers this year. Here's the freshman Trent Mossbrucker from 26 yards out. And the turnover results in three points for Iowa. And it all started back with that fumble. The first carry by LaShawn McCoy puts it on the ground. The big play from Sash ends up giving Iowa three points. Iowa only one for five on third downs today has three receivers in on third and three. From the six, Green cuts inside and finds the end zone. Iowa has scored. Sean Green with the touchdown. Sean Green keeping the shoulders square, making the cutback, and finding the seam. And there were some arm tackles in there, but they're not going to slow down Sean Green. Hello, Hawkeye fans. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the weekly football show from Hawkeyesmike.com. Last Saturday's game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with Pam Ward and Ray Bentley. Nothing special with those two, but we very much appreciate it and thank them. So Iowa with two minutes and 42 seconds and three timeouts left in the half. Tony Moyaki, the tight end, breaks the tackle and is pushed out of bounds by Eric Thatcher. But Moyaki back in there did not play the first couple of games because of an injury. His first catch of the season is a huge one. But you could really see with Stanzi in control, this Iowa offense is firing. Hasn't it really settled them down? You get, you get a sense of that just watching with Ricky Stanzi in there. They're not as frenetic as Jake Christensen. That's kind of his style. He's almost like a wild colt running out in the prairie in the fields, just untamed, whereas Stanzi comes in and lends some calm to the situation. The Pittsburgh Panthers edged the Iowa Hawkeyes 21-20 at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh last Saturday. What a disappointing loss. And often during the game, disappointing and puzzling performances on both sides of the ball by the Hawkeyes. There were a lot of missed opportunities, and there was some questionable coaching at key points in this contest, both in terms of personnel decisions and play calling. Kirk Ferentz played Jake Christensen the entire second half in spite of his struggles. He said he thought Christensen had a better grip on the game in the first half and gave Iowa a better chance to win. Those comments set off a firestorm among Hawkeye fans, as many wondered if Ferentz had been watching the same game they were. Later, Kirk said he played Christensen based on his gut feeling. Well, that's a gut feeling that made many Hawkeye fans collectively sick to their stomachs, as Jake continued to make all of the same kinds of mistakes he has made since starting the 2007 season. One attempted pass play really stood out as an example of Christensen's failure to show improvement. A third down play where Jake attempted a six-yard pass to Trey Strauss and actually threw it into the ground. Hawkeye fans have seen too much of that over the past 13 months. It is certainly not fair to make Jake Christensen the scapegoat for the offense problems of this team since the start of last season, but he has also had a very fair chance to show that he should be the starter. One bright note for the Hawks, Sean Green ran for a personal best 147 yards, his fourth consecutive 100-plus yard game. Makes you wonder why Iowa abandoned that running attack in the fourth quarter when they had the chance to take the lead. That left a lot of fans and media scratching their heads regarding Ken O'Keefe's play calling. Again, 
Through the first four games, Green has now racked up 506 yards on 78 carries, a 6.4 yard per carry average. It was hard to find many bright spots other than Green's running. The defense got smoked in the first quarter and couldn't stop the Panthers on a crucial drive later in the game. Every one of Pitt's three touchdowns also came after they converted on fourth down plays. However, from midway through the second quarter until late in the third, Iowa's D held Pitt to only 38 yards on 20 plays. Offensively, Iowa could not convert on most of its third down opportunities, a disturbing trend that seems to be carried over from last year. The Hawks now rank 89th nationally in that stat, and Iowa only scored three points off of two pit turnovers to boot. Special teams were pretty much a bust, mediocre punting, a critical missed field goal, and no significant return yardage on either kickoffs or punts. What a difference a week makes compared to their performance in the Iowa State game. You hate to think where Iowa's offense might be at this point in the season if Sean Green weren't back on the team. And Ferentz getting outcoached by Dave Wanstad is another thing that's pretty hard to swallow for most Iowa fans. The loss leaves Iowa with a record of 3-1, while Pitt moved to 2-1. The Hawks face Northwestern this Saturday at Kinnick in its annual homecoming game. Great story. Compelling and rich. Hawkeyesmike.com. It's sports talk radio on the internet. Just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. A quick review of game notes and key stats is brought to you by Prefence, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. Go to www.prefence.com. Iowa started the pit game on offense once again. It won the toss this time, though, and elected to receive. Iowa failed to score in its first possession. That's the first time this has happened in four games this year. Pittsburgh also failed to score on its opening possession. All four of Iowa's opponents have failed to score on their opening drives this year. Pittsburgh scored a touchdown with 6.06 remaining in the first quarter. That's the first TD allowed by Iowa this season and the first points allowed by Iowa in the first period all year long. Iowa was the last BCS team to allow a touchdown this year. Iowa had one turnover in the game, a fumble by Jake Christensen in the final minute. Looking at team statistics, first downs, Iowa had 19 to Pitt's 13. Net yards rushing, 158 for the Hawks, 130 for the Panthers. Yards passing, 203 for Iowa, 129 for Pitt. Total offensive yards, 361 for the Hawkeyes compared to Pitt's 259. Iowa also ran 73 offensive plays compared to Pittsburgh's 62. Possession time in the Hawks' favor, 34-48 for the Hawks, 25-12 for Pitt. Third down conversions, a major problem for Iowa, only 4 of 17. Fourth down conversions, 1 for 1 for the Hawks, as we mentioned earlier, 3 of 3 for Pitt. Red zone scoring chances, Iowa went 3 for 4 while Pitt was 2 for 2. And Iowa suffered 6 sacks, 4 against Christensen. One other piece of news, Iowa has named its new Director of Player Development. He's Chickasay Ejiasi, a former Hawkeye defensive back. Ejiasi had been serving as administrative assistant with the Iowa football staff. He begins his new job immediately. This job was created in response to many of the off-field problems the Hawkeyes have had over the last couple of years, and Ejiasi's primary job will be to help incoming freshmen transition both academically and socially. All right, I'm out of here. Uh, I hear that asteroids machine calling my name from the game room, so peace. 
These football programs come to you weekly during the entire season. This week, once again, you'll have the chance to hear Marv Cook's thoughts and Pat Hardy's opinions. And during the course of the season, we'll also hear from you, the Iowa fans. We invite you to share your comments each week by calling 866-74-HAWKS. And how about this? What is going on here? Christensen's coming back into the game, right? Shocking development. And I I don't know if they're just trying to give Jake some a little confidence putting him back in here in this first series. But things were going really smoothly with Ricky Stanzi in there. I'm, I'm surprised. Christensen was just two for six for 15 yards and was sacked before Stanzi came in to relieve him. Say Mossbrucker, you know, he alternates kicks with Daniel Murray, but Daniel Murray missed one here today, and that I think you're going to see a lot more of Mossbrucker in that regard. Mossbrucker hit from 26, Murray missed from 35. This one is 39 yards away for the true freshman, right down the middle. And that is a new career high for the true freshman who kicked a 35-yarder against Maine in the first week of the season. And Iowa only trails now by one. Time now to hear from the coaches in Saturday's Iowa Northwestern game. First head coach Kirk Ferentz looks ahead to Northwestern. Obviously excited about the homecoming weekend. I know it's uh, a little bit special for everybody and certainly good to have a lot of folks back on campus and we'll have a great challenge on our hands playing Northwestern. You know, they're off to a tremendous start. Very experienced football team playing very, very well right now. You know, offensively, you look at their skilled players. I think it all starts right there. You know, Bechet's done a nice job at quarterback for him and we've got a bunch of good receivers. Peterman's a leader out there being a senior and uh, Sutton's one of the best uh, players in our conference, not just the running backs, but one of the best players in the conference. So he's an outstanding player. I think defensively, you know, you start up front, they're very, very experienced. It all all over on defense, they're experienced, but up front they've got a, a lot of good players. They've played very well, and uh, they're deep up front. You know, Wooden on the outside's a, a real good player, and then, you know, Gil, I'm not sure we blocked him more than three times last last year in the game, and you know, he gave us a lot of trouble. Uh, and then they've got uh, some young guys too. This guy, Brown, jumped in there last week, ends up with three sacks in, in one ball game. So, yeah, they've got some young talent, uh, some real experienced guys, and probably the biggest thing I'd say about them, they're just not giving up big plays. You know, they're playing very, very well right now, playing smart, uh, making you work for everything. And when you do that, that's uh, a sign of a good defense. And then special teams-wise, uh, they're doing a good job there, too. And I think the, the thing of note there, uh, their specialists uh, look to be very, very improved from a year ago. You know, the punter's doing a good job. Place kicker's doing an excellent job. He's 8 for 8 right now. And uh, those aren't just chip shots. He's doing it uh, whatever range they throw him out there. So they're, they're a, a very good football team, certainly worthy of their record. And, uh, you know, we'll have to be at our best. Ferentz faced a barrage of questions about his quarterback decision. First, he was asked what he hopes to see from Ricky Stanzi. You know, I'm, I'm not pulling for either guy. You know, it's not a matter of pulling for one guy or the other. I'm just, uh, you know, I think at some point the, the picture will become a little bit more clear. You know, whenever that happens, then we'll, we'll be there. Kirk was asked what changed between the second half at Pitt and the decision to start Stanzi. Played 30 more minutes. That's about all I can tell you. And I had a chance to look at the tape. And uh, yeah, it's, it's just the conclusion. I think it gives us our best shot this week, and uh, that'll be the plan. Kirk was asked about what advantages Stanzi brings in terms of intangibles that the team may have lacked so far. You, you know, you folks are uh, all watching just like I'm watching, and uh, 
you know, I, I don't know how comfortable I am just talking about all the, you know, and I know I, I took a little bit of a lashing for my gut feeling, but I, I can't share everything that I observe or everything I think. I just, I'm not comfortable doing with that. And there are certain things that, uh, that that's for me and my our coaches to, to visit with and uh, think about what have you. But I, I think, you know, everything I've read, Everybody's had their opinions about what the advantages and pluses are of both players and the minuses of both players, and, you know, it's just it's an open book right now. Kirk talks about how big the game against Northwestern is. Each and every one are very big, and they're all special. That's, that's uh, the nature of football. You, you try to make the most you can of every opportunity in front of you, and basically you have a weak block to do it in, and uh, you know, when that weak block's up, you go to the next block, and that, that's... Yeah, that's about the best way I can put it. Uh, we're moving into conference play, so to say that's not significant. That would be, you know, obviously uh, wrong. And then, uh, but that last game, you know, it wasn't a league game, but we wanted to win it badly uh, for a lot of reasons. It would have been uh, helpful in a lot of a lot of areas. We came up a point short, and there, it's a long list of things that could have been differently or done differently or what have you, and uh, done better. So, you know, that's uh, the list that we went over on Sunday, and now we're trying to repair that a little bit and improve in that. And but that's football. Yeah, that's football. It was, on a plane last night, uh, you know, just reading an article about the Steelers, you know, two and zero going into their game last weekend, and uh, had a running back that had 200-yard games. He got held to 20, and the quarterback got sacked eight times. You know, chances are they're probably still a good football team, and they'll they'll come back and play well. So, Patriots, you know, they didn't have a, exactly a great day either. So it's. That's part of football. It's disappointing. You know, sometimes things don't go the way you hope or plan, and uh, you just turn your focus to the next one. And if you do that well enough, you know, in November, then, you know, you can think about some other stuff too. Kirk was asked about the play of the offensive line and the fact that the team gave up six sacks, not so much the line, but the team as a whole. They didn't give up sacks. I mean, we gave up six sacks as a team, and, uh, you know, they had their hand in in a couple of them. But I I think we're making improvement. We're we're showing signs of progression or progress. And But that, that being said, there a lot of things that we still can get better at and talk about things that hurt us in the ball game. We, we didn't execute a very fundamental play after the uh, first turnover. Uh, on an early down, you know, we, we uh, didn't execute a, a very fundamental play very well. You know, we ended up with, you know, subpar play as a result of that, and I'm talking about up front. So, you know, next thing you know, we're kicking a field goal, and, you know, if we'd done a little better there, you, you never know. I mean, we might have scored on that play, or at least we might have had a better second down, third down option. So, you know, there are a lot of little things that happened during the course of the game, and that was part of the message to the team Sunday was that, uh, you know, all those little things really add up, and, you know, I mean, right now I know the focus is intense on our quarterback situation, but I'm, I'm looking at a pump block uh, that gives them the ball at midfield they get a touchdown drive which you know a pump blocks like walking a guy in uh, uh, the ninth inning you know it's not a good thing I'm looking at a punt that we probably could have killed or should have killed inside the five yard line that would have given them you know 95 yards to go probably would have given us you know option odds are you know we would have had good field position and uh, it might have gotten us a field goal so you know there are a million things that you look at during the course of the game and I guess we start at the offensive line uh, that being said we're making progress I think the guys are working hard I think they're improving you know it's like our football team there's a lot to be enthused about right now, but we're, we're hardly there. You know, so that, that's the focus, is what can we do to clean up some of those little things to give us a higher proficiency level when we're operating out there. Kirk talks about the problem Iowa's offenses had in making third down conversions. It was clearly a factor in the ball game the other day. And, and again, part of that, you know, when you blow something on first down, yeah, it makes it a little bit tougher on third down. Something we ought to be able to execute. I'm not talking about a, uh, an unrealistic expectation there. The only stat I've really focused on too, too significantly would be our turnover ratio, which has been okay. Without any doubt, you know, third down's a huge part of success. And if we don't get that, and I'm more focused on where we were Saturday, if we can't improve on that, then it's going to be it's going to be tough. It's like sacks. It's a it's, yeah. I mean, negative yardage plays get. 
get you. You know, second and 17 jumps out at you right away. You know, whenever you whenever you get behind in the count, it just makes it a little bit tougher. And we did a lot of that last year, and that was a big part of our. And that brings on more sacks. It, it just compounds everything. You know, it doesn't not only affect your third down proficiency ranking, but uh, you know, just it makes it tougher to operate. Kirk talks about Northwestern's defense. I mean, they've got good players, they're experienced, and they play hard. But it is, it's amazing. They're, I think, three sacks off last year's total. So in four games, they've really, I think it's 15, does that sound right? They're just playing hard. Then the other factor, you get a guy like Brown jumping in the game yesterday who's a second-team guy getting three sacks. That's that's pretty extraordinary. Uh, so they've got a lot of guys that work hard, and, and they've got good talent up there. You know, they're really, you know, I hate to single out strengths of the team, but I'd say they're, they're, they're front. You know, it's, it's one of the strengths of their defensive football team. Regarding Northwestern, Western's version of the spread offense. Kirk talks about Iowa's defense matching up against the spread. I, you know, I don't know. I just I know this. Uh, you know, these guys. Northwestern is very proficient and has has been for a long time with this offense. They, they really do a nice job, and their their players are all. So like I said I think they're playing really smart on defense. Their, their players understand what they're supposed to do, and they're, they're pretty good. So they've got a quarterback who's a veteran player. They've got a running back who hurts you in the running game. He hurts you in the, in the passing game. So it's it's going to be a heck of a challenge for us to try to match up against. The their guys and, and they're high effort players too so they 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 do everything right and that's that's probably why they're 4-0 right now they're really doing a good job i don't think there's anything magical about you know spreads versus uh you know wisconsin michigan state attacks it's it's still about how you play against those those players individuals and you know for instance eads might be taking on a, a receiver block and i mean then next week or whenever you know it is down the road you know he's taking on a tight end more in the game but you know you still have to be able to play off blocks and take care of your responsibilities in the passing game certainly the percentages get turned a little bit to on who you're playing, but it still gets down to being able to handle your responsibility out in the field, being sound. And the one common denominator is we have to tackle better, and that that showed up and hurt us again last weekend in a couple plays in particular. You know, it really hurt us, and uh, those things add up because you know if you let somebody in the end zone, you know you don't have a chance to fight for another uh, another day, and that's uh, that's a bad thing, and that hurt us a little bit on a couple touchdowns last year, last week, excuse me. Next, let's hear from Northwestern head coach Pat Fitzgerald. The initial impressions of Iowa so far. Well, first of all, from a physical standpoint, you know, both sides of the ball up front, uh, they're one of the more physical teams, not only in our conference, but also in the country. You know, the, the way that Sean runs a football, uh, it just it's your atypical Kirk Ferentz coach football team. They're tough, they're physical, uh, and they just execute what they're, what they're asked to do. Fitzgerald was asked after four games what he's learned about his own team. Well, number one is that we'll, we'll keep fighting. You know, we haven't necessarily played great football yet, but we've played well enough to win. Uh, you know, it hasn't. Uh, we played in two pretty tough ball games, and you know, I, I think that's going to prepare our football team for the long haul here in, in Big Ten Conference. I mean, most games in this league are close. They go down to the fourth quarter, and uh, I believe I learned our guys will fight. Number two, I believe that we're we're doing everything that we possibly can to be better on special teams. Our guys are buying in. To, uh, to what we've been stressing here as coaches about the most critical aspect of our team, and that's the third phase. And, uh, you know, I think we're improving on both sides of the ball offensively and defensively, but we're not where we need to be yet. Fitzgerald talks about the crucial aspect of special teams play. You know, when you've got to bring guys from both sides of the ball together and have them do things unselfishly like cover kicks and block for guys, I mean, it, you know, you really got to buy into being a great special teams player. And uh, everybody wants to catch touchdown passes, throw touchdown passes and run the ball block. Everybody wants to tackle and get tackles for lost sacks, picks, interceptions, and fumble recoveries. How about the guy that needs to go block uh, the L3 on the kickoff return or run down and bust up a wedge? I mean, that's, that's where I think we're playing a little bit better right now overall is in our kicking game, and it's given us a chance to win a field position battle. And uh, it's going to be critical against a team that I believe in Iowa that is one of the best special teams uh, 
units in a conference. Fitzgerald's sense of the Big Ten so far? Based on what I've seen in some crossover film, it looks like the league is ultra-competitive right now. It looks like everybody's playing pretty darn good football. And uh, now it's the battle of attrition. Who can stay healthy? I mean, we really start beating each other up here uh, over the next few weeks. And, uh, uh, you know, you just got to find a way here at the end of September and then through the month of October to just take it one at a time and stay healthy and find a way to get to W. Fitzgerald talks about the timing issues with the spread offense and whether that's contributed to its problems so far this season. Yeah, that's one aspect of it, but it's a little bit more than just timing. It's execution. You know, we haven't you know, necessarily executed as 11 heartbeats beating as one yet this year on a consistent basis on offense. And what we need to do is just continue to work to get better fundamentally and technically and just keep fighting and keep battling, and, uh, and that'll come. And, you know, we've got a couple of guys that now have played four games. They're not young anymore, and we just all need to collectively step up our game, our 11 guys on the field and us as coaches, and just get better. Call in and express your opinions about the Hawks to make your voice heard on HawkeyesMike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS and join our guest experts on weekly podcasts. We welcome back Marv Cook for his weekly stint on HawkeyesMike.com. This week, Marv's interviewed by Sean Patchett. A very disappointing loss for Iowa on Saturday. In a game that was there for the taking, the Hawks won all the statistical categories except for the most important. What's your overall sense of the game? That. They were just every bit as good as Pitt was and um, I thought played played well played very well at times and, and played well enough to win, but just didn't come out with a victory. Well, we ask a similar question each week. How much more does the game against Pitt tell you about this Iowa team? It, it tells me a lot. I mean, it tells me that they, they have the ability to be good, but they also have the, the ability to be pretty mediocre. Uh, I thought we saw both of that during the course of the game. So, you know, frustrating from a standpoint that they had opportunities to win, they didn't execute, and they didn't make the plays to win. But, you know, Pitt, Pitt is a pretty talented football team. they got some good football players over there. So good that Iowa got tested. Obviously, those are the ones you want to come out on top. The week prior, they did. They made enough plays to win. This week, they didn't. Going forward, when you assess this team, is it likely to be more like what we saw at Pittsburgh or more like what we saw in the first three games? I think more like the last two games. I mean, a combination of Iowa State and Pitt. It's gonna, they're going to be closer games. They're going to be games that either team can win and if Iowa doesn't play well and execute and, and doesn't perform well on special teams they got a chance to lose the game but if they do those things they shore up their turnovers and they take care of business they'll have a chance to win a lot of these games. Before we get to looking at each aspect of the team's play let's get right to the topic that's been on everyone's mind since the start of the third quarter last Saturday. Many Iowa fans have wondered what game Kirk Ferentz was watching when he said Jake was playing better than Rick in the first half. You know, assess the play of the quarterbacks. You know I thought uh, both guys, uh, right now, I think I think the offense is playing pretty close to the vest. I mean, I, I don't think they're getting too exotic. I don't think they're getting too risky with what they're trying to accomplish offensively. And, and what they're just trying to find is someone that can manage the game, especially with a good running game with Sean Green. You know, what they want to do is kind of like the Bears model, the Chicago Bears model two or three years ago, and that's just win on defense. Let your offense not lose games for you and uh, keep it close. So, you know, I, I think with that, the idea – being that, they're looking for the, for the person who's not going to make turnovers, who's not going to make the bad throw. Stanzi's numbers were pretty impressive, but there was also some things there that probably weren't as sharp as they should have been. And 
you know, I, I just know from a coaching standpoint, the one thing you're going to try to do late in the game is you're going to play who you think gives you the best chance to win and who makes you feel the most comfortable. And obviously for, for Coach Ferentz and his staff, that was Jake Christensen. Do you believe his explanation that he went with his gut or do you think there was something else going on? I don't know any particulars other than, like I said, I mean, the pressure of, of college football and at that level, I mean, the one thing that you know, any coach should be doing is, is playing the guy that's going to help his team have the best chance to win the game. And if there was any other decision other than that, then that's just, that, that, I mean, that's the number one decision that should be made at all times, in my opinion, unless there's some other circumstance that would that lead to a different decision. Well, there's been speculation that Stansy was benched for not running out the clock at the end of the first half, uh, even though there was two two-second differential and Iowa would have had to punt anyway. Do you think that played into it? And if it did, do you think punishment matched the offense, or was it fair to the rest of the team? I don't know the particulars. I, I, I said I've, I, I had heard that, but that's who knows. And, and if you don't know the truth on it, best I don't even comment on it. So uh, you know. But ultimately, it, it's always a tough decision from a coaching standpoint. I remember one time when Florida State was playing in a, in a championship game against Virginia Tech. Sebastian Janikowski was the kicker, and he missed curfew. And he missed bed check. Well, what's the right thing to do? Is it to punish him and not let him play? But then that punishes the team to have a chance to win a national championship. I mean, so you, you got to weigh the, the the offense to the to the overall how you how, what it means to the team aspect of it. But so I, I don't know the particulars, but uh, you know I, I think he has two capable quarterbacks in those two guys. You know, it was a situation that if Stanzi had went in and. and and made some mistakes or made one or two mistakes in the second half, then they'd say, why didn't you play Jake? Jake's got more experience. I mean, it's a, it's a no-win situation when the Hawks lose. If they win, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great call, Coach Ferentz. I mean, it's a, he's a truly in a no-win situation there with the Hawks come out on the wrong end of the stick. Do you think, barring injury or really bad performance, that Stanzi's selection now as a starter is a fairly firm commitment for the balance of the season? No. I mean, I, I think... I mean, I think uh, they've got two pretty close players, and and what you'll find in that kind of competition is is that Jake is not going to be better every day for the remainder of the year just because he's right now. I mean, they're going to have their days when one person's on, the other one isn't, and and it's not going to always be that this is the best player. Uh, that's why I think depth charts sometimes are kind of quirky that way. I mean, as far as some running backs, maybe if you got two or three good running backs, someone's going to be having a better day and you got to play with who's going to give you the best chance to win. So uh, I don't think, uh, in, in this situation, I wouldn't definitely say you're my starter for the remainder of the year like the Minnesota Vikings coach did with Gus Farad. I mean, I, I just wouldn't put that out there right now. I mean, I'd just let it play out, keep the competition in place, and, and go with the guy that's got the hot hand. All right, let's turn to the offense overall. I know you're now a fan, but as a former player, you must watch this offense from a different and more knowledgeable perspective than the average fan. What do you see overall? Well, I mean, the one good thing is it's what Iowa wants to do is they want to run the football. And they've got a guy in Sean Green right now that can run the football. And they've got a line that can get him the protection. They're back to running their zone game, their stretch game, uh, and they're doing it pretty effectively. So, you know, I mean, that, that's where it all starts with this football team. And when you can run the ball effectively, you got a good chance to be successful in the Big Ten. So, you know, the passing game's obviously got to pick up. With the run, you need to be able to set up the play action. And uh, we've got to be doing a little bit better job in the passing game. But... So far, I like what I see, and um, we, we, we're three and one. We've lost a close game to, to a, I think, a pretty good team that had a bye week to get ready for us. So uh, this next week's going to be a big game as far as getting me more clarity on just how good this team is. Another good game for Sean Green. Although you have to wonder about 
Ken O'Keefe's play calling when he essentially abandoned the run in the fourth quarter. I'm trying to think back and, and look at that perspective, but uh, you know, a lot of times you want to change the pace of the game and you want to pick it up a little bit and create a little bit more tempo for your offense, a little sense of urgency, and you can kind of get in the flow that way. But uh, you know, anytime you're down and you got to press a little bit, I mean, that's going to force you to change your play calling a little bit. But uh, it was always there if they needed it. The screen game was, you know, it could come off the, you know, screens are basically just an extended handoff, a longer term handoff. So they had their chances. I mean, they, you know, they missed a field goal. They, they had chances to be successful and win this game. They just, you know, came out on the wrong side of it. The offensive line seemed to play a fairly solid game in spite of the sacks that seemed more Christensen's fault than the lines. Yeah, I thought the protection was pretty good for the most part. I mean, that's one of the, you know, a lot of the teams use a drill where they have a, a buzzer that goes off after about 3.7 seconds, so the quarterbacks get in the habit of, you know, check, check, throw down, you know, or, or check, one, two, check down, throw it away, you know, or one, two, check down, run. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the pocket is collapsing, quarterback's looking for a way out, can't find it. There was three and a half to four sec seconds of protection, but the quarterback's trying to make a play for the offense and that's where you take a sack sometimes. So, but I, I think the offensive line is doing a nice job. I think they're coming along very well. Like I said, they've, they've been able to, to run the ball effectively in four straight games now, and uh, you know, hopefully they'll be able to continue to do that. The play of the receivers and tight ends, it was nice to see Milwaukee have a nice catch and run, but still some critical drop balls by the wideouts, even when they were well thrown. Yeah, I mean that's just you. You, you got to shore those things up. I mean that's the one area that you can't you can't you can't have drops. I mean that's you know you're going to get about you know anywhere from you know good receivers and get anywhere from two to five opportunities, maybe seven opportunities to catch balls during the game. And if the ball hits your hands and it's, it's a catchable ball, you got to make that play. I mean those are valuable yards, valuable first downs, and valuable field positions. So you know those things happen. It does rain in the desert, not very often, but you know periodically it will, and you just got to overcome it. I mean that's the, the good teams. When you do have a drop ball on a second and ten, they'll line up and they'll find a way to convert and get the third, you know, the third and ten, they'll find a way to get a first down and they'll overcome that. And you just gotta be good enough to overcome those things. Turning to the defense, it looked like they weren't quite ready to play in the first quarter, dug a pretty big hole, then played better the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean I think they played pretty solid. I mean, you know, like I said, we gotta take your hat off to Pitt. I mean, they had two weeks to prepare. I played with Dave Wanstead at Chicago. The guy is a, a defensive genius uh, and does a nice job scheming. And then, uh, you know, I, I know that staff, a couple of those guys were on the Chicago Bears staff when I was there. So, and then Matt Cavanaugh, the offensive coordinator. I mean, they're, they're, they're smart guys. I mean, you know, they're very, very smart at what they do and they've got some talent. I mean, that junior college quarterback was a very talented quarterback and starter was a good, good strong arm guy. And the, the two, you know, the two running backs are pretty darn good as well. So, so we, we faced top-notch football players and we did a good job containing them for the most part it was you know two or three big plays that hurt us but you know that's part of the game you're gonna have those plays and you just got to find a way to overcome them. As a coach why do you think something like that happens when the defense just didn't look either ready to play or prepared for what they were facing? Well I think a lot of it is is the other team uh, you know the other team can come up with some schemes and some some uh, some formations and motions that can cause you problems. You know, they've had, like I said, two weeks to look at film and see what Iowa's tendencies were, and, and they can come out and create some, some mismatches by, uh, sh by shifts and formations and things like that. And, and that's what good offenses will try to do to you, is they'll really try to, to stretch you, find out where you, you know, if you're making a certain adjustment to a motion or to a, to a formation, then they're going to come back and have a play that's designed to, to attack the weak spot of that defense. And, and that's exactly what Kavanaugh and those guys were doing with the running game and with the passing game. So, but I mean, I, I mean, you know, wholeheartedly, that's the game. It's, it's a chess match. The coaches are doing a chess match and the players are playing and, and uh, you know, to Pitt's credit, they've got four or five studs that can make 
make plays, and they're going to make plays all year long against good defenses. So, you know, but to hold hold that team to that few points, you know, was probably a good thing and a good sign that our defense is where it needs to be and is getting better and could be pretty dominant in the Big Ten. Special teams play was pretty disappointing, almost a complete turnaround from the week before. It appears Mossbrucker has beaten out Murray, at least for PATs and field goals. Yeah, I mean, I look, it looks to me that the coaches have settled in there, and I think they've got two good kickers there. Obviously, the Murray is an Iowa City, Regina kid and, and does a decent job on the kickoffs, but the freshman is pretty good. I mean, he's uh, got a strong leg, kicks, kicks the ball very high off the tee, which is unique for a freshman. A lot of freshmen want to drive the ball, so, so he's a solid kicker there, and, and Donahue, the punter, is a good, solid Big Ten-type caliber punter, and, and our, our kicking game you know, I think will prove to be a strength for us over the course of the season, but you know, you never want to miss a, miss a field goal and, and have an opportunity. I mean, in a one or two point game, those are big points. So, you know, obviously it, it didn't come down to one play. And that's the other thing you can always say is it, it's not one play. It's, it's a matter of there, there was 15 or 20 opportunities that Iowa had to be successful. It wasn't just the kick that cost them the game. It was a lot of other different plays as well. As a coach and a former player, do you think teams take on different personalities at home versus on the road? Yeah, especially younger teams. I mean, uh, younger teams, the, the, the road can be a little bit different. I mean, the, we talked about the, the habits and the, and the football players are creatures of habit and they get in routines and, and the road trip's just a little bit different routine. It's not, you know, same thing Monday through Thursday and Friday and even Saturday for the most part, but they just stay in a different hotel in a different city. So it shouldn't be that big a deal. Crowd noise, and I know they, they did address it last week, they piped in crowd noise for their practice. So, you know, those are just things you got to deal with. And until you actually go through it two or three times, you're not comfortable with it, but you can eventually uh, get a good feel for, you know, how to address that. And a lot of times the crowd noise can actually help you focus more and concentrate more and uh, can help you be more efficient as an offense if you, you know, channel that the excitement of the crowd and all that stuff and you put it and you, you focus your mind right and, and you can make that a positive for you. We usually grade the team after games. Let's grade the coaching this past week. How much do you think both personnel decisions and play calling contributed to the loss? You know, I, I don't think a lot to be honest with you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably in the minority there with, with a lot of the Hawkeye fans, but you know, I think ultimately the players had chances to win the game. I mean, it's not one play, it's 15 plays. They had chances to be successful and they just didn't make enough plays to, to win the game. Enough of the pick game. The Hawks are 3-1 and one, and now we're looking at the start of the Big Ten season. When you played for the Hawks, how did the coaching staff and the players approach the conference versus non-conference seasons? Well, I mean, most teams in the Big Ten, you're trying to win a Big Ten championship. You want to play in the Rose Bowl. That's your number one goal, and you can be 0-4 or 0-3 in the, in the, in the non-conference games, but if you win the Big Ten, you still play in the Rose Bowl. So, uh, you know, basically it goes back to a 0-0 slate for everybody, and, you know, they're going to line up and have the opportunity to, to, to be, you know, there's all 11 teams are back in it. That's the mindset I think that most Big Ten players have. Now you have a chance to play in the Rose Bowl, and if you take care of business over the next, uh, you know, eight, nine weeks, you got a good chance to do that. So that's the focus. Northwestern is 4-0 for the first time in many years. What do you expect to see this Saturday? What problems do they pose for the Hawks? And what are your keys to the game? Just spread. I mean, the spread offense. And they spread it out to run it. And a lot of teams spread it out to pass it, but they spread it out to run it. And if you don't, if you don't effectively stop the run and try to make them one-dimensional, you can have some massive problems. And I think that's the one thing that Coach Parker's always done a pretty successful job as is he tries to make teams one-dimensional. Uh, you know, the keys for me will be if you see Northwestern ripping off seven, eight, nine, 
10 yards of carry uh, with this spread offense, Iowa was going to be in for a long day. But I think, uh, you know, like they did with Illinois last year, they shut down the running game, made Illinois pass it. And if, if Iowa can create that kind of one-dimensional uh, aspect to Northwestern's offense, they got a very, very good chance to be successful. Any other thoughts? No, just offensively, he's got to get better. I mean, they got to they got to score points. They got to find a way to put points up on the board and big points. You know, 28, 35, or whatever it takes to win the game. I mean, 10-7 games are great, but defense is going to give up 20. You got to find a way to score 21. You know, offensively, he's got to just continue to get their feet underneath them, find ways to make plays down the field, and create some you know points off of big plays. And if if they can do that, they got a chance to be successful. Christensen slipped the tackle and got into the end zone. Christensen with the touchdown. Iowa takes the lead. Well, Scott McKillop missed a tackle that would have stopped Christensen at the three-yard line. Here's a third and three. Christensen airs it out towards the sideline, and he's got his man. Darrell Johnson Coolianos for a huge game. Christensen is making me eat my words there. That was a perfect pass that wasn't a bullet, a fastball. He lobs it up. DJK is a call in Iowa with a 40-yard catch, his fifth reception of the day. Hawkeye's Mike is always interested in and encourages listener feedback. Help make us better. Please provide us with your comments and suggestions for programs, guests, and topics by emailing feedback at hawkeyesmike.com or by calling toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. We welcome back Pat Hardy, interviewed this week by Sean Patchett. You can read Pat's articles in the Press Citizen and online at Hawk Central. A very disappointing loss for Iowa on Saturday, your overall assessment? I mean, disappointing because the game was there for the taking, but I'm not surprised I picked them to lose because I didn't buy into the fool's gold from the first three games. I still think this Iowa team's got a lot of issues, and I had them losing to Pittsburgh before the season started and with an unsettled quarterback situation. I just thought that the game being away from Kinnick Stadium was going to be too much for them to overcome, and it kind of I, I figured they'd lose a close game. What does this game against Pitt tell you about the Hawks, and what do you expect to see going forward? More of the same, to be honest with you. I think a lot of it will just depend on what the quarterbacks do on a given day. I, I'm still convinced they don't have a proven quarterback right now. I think that they've got a situation where they're actually trying, just hoping that one of these two quarterbacks takes the position. But I, right now, I don't think either one of them is that much better than the other one to do it. And I'm just going to see more of the same. That's why I think I picked this team to go six and six, and I'm really kind of sticking to my guns. I see that. I see that being a six and six, seven and five team because I really don't think they're going to get all conference. I don't think they're going to get anything close to all conference quarterback play this year. I think that's going to hold this team back, especially when defenses adjust to Sean Green. Well, let's get right to the quarterback controversy. Many Iowa fans wondered what game France was watching in the first half when he said Christensen was playing better than Stanzi. Can you assess the play of the quarterbacks? Well, I mean, Stanzi did play better than Christensen, but I think it came down to the fact that Stanzi, I just don't think they got good body language from him. I think they thought that he was maybe lacking some confidence. Stanzi even said today that they went with a more experienced guy and he thought the decision made some sense. And I think his stats were somewhat blown out of proportion. He was 7 for 10 for 79 yards, but 48 of those yards were one pass play, a play at pass where he threw the ball 5 yards and the tight end ran for 40. So his stats weren't that overwhelming, and I think what 
what happened was I, I'm just going to give Ferentz the benefit of the doubt and think that he's just his gut feeling was that Stanzi mentally wasn't ready to win that game in the second half. He knew what he had with Jake. He knew that Jake had won a couple road games for him before in the past, and I think he just went with experience. As someone who's covered Iowa teams for a long time, was this one of the most puzzling coaches' decisions and explanations you've heard? I'm not as buying into it as much as everyone else is because I'm not convinced that Rick Stanzi's the answer. I think, I mean, I think they should have given him at least a series or two to play just to see what he could do in the second half after it was apparent that Jake just didn't have it. But this is the same Ricky Stanzi who couldn't even make it through the Iowa State game before getting yanked. I think Iowa fans need to relax their expectations on this guy. I mean, he needs to go out and do it. He hasn't really proven that much at all. And I'm, no, I don't really. I, if I, could, I bet you if I thought and thought about it, I could think of some more questionable decisions. I used to always wonder why they never gave Tim Dwight the ball when he played here. To me, that was a bigger mystery than why they're starting Jake over an unproven quarterback. I just think Iowa fans are just assuming Stanzi's going to take this position and run with it, and I, I don't believe that at all. There's been much speculation about what might have contributed to Stanzi not playing in the second half, not running the clock down at the end of the first half although Iowa would have still been forced to punt due to a two-second clock differential. Another theory is that Kirk gave Jake one last chance to grab the starting job. How much credence do you put into those two theories, and in any event, do you think it was fair to the rest of the team? I don't think either one of those theories. Kirk even said the running the clock thing, they were upset that it, that it didn't go the way they wanted, but he wouldn't make a whole personnel decision based on just that, and I don't think it was, okay, we're going to give Jake one more shot, because then you're saying, okay, we're going to risk losing this road game to give this guy one more shot. I think they just thought Kirk thought he must have seen something in Stanzi that just was not where he just didn't feel right with him and I think he went with the guy who he felt was a little more experienced I think it just comes down to that I think it's that simple because Stanzi is still inexperienced so I think it was more of a gut feeling that he went with the experienced guy and had Daniel Murray made that field goal they would have won the game so I mean, there's a lot of ways you can look at it but I think there's just been too much built in on the fact that people just assume that Stanzi would have went in there and just played lights out in the second half based on that stuff in the second quarter and I just I thought he did play a little better than Jake in the second quarter my biggest thing is he should have played a series or two but I had no problem with Jake starting the second half because I I still don't think Stanzi's distinguished himself Jake just seems to make the same mistakes he's made since the beginning of 2007 season just very little improvement there well that's the problem with Jake is Iowa fans I think they've pretty much figured he's pretty much ran his course they've he's been there and done it and it's the same stuff he really hasn't taken his game to another level and I think they're bored with Jake as much as anything bored and frustrated I think there's just an element of intrigue when there's a new guy and that's what Stanzi still represents he's the new guy and and in fairness to Stanzi Jake hasn't really improved much Jake's kind of stayed the same and at some point I think everybody else is kind of passing him up and it was up to Jake to try to seize that position last Saturday and he didn't do it and I think now it's back to giving Stanzi a try. Barring injury or really bad play do you think Stanzi's selection as a starter for Northwestern is a commitment for the balance of the season? It's hard to say because what if Stanzi comes out and lays an egg like he did against Iowa State? Do you, do you let him go in there? I mean against Iowa State he was horrible. Do you keep him in there with a guy with a more experienced quarterback behind him? I would not I think he will get a much longer leash Saturday. I think he will get at least a half. I think he'd have to really fall apart in the third quarter to lose his position because back then you go back to Jake again and you know what you've got. I think they're waiting for Stanzi to kind of unveil himself, and whatever, but the fact that he bombed against Iowa State, I think that's probably in the back of their minds. Let's turn to the offense overall. Another very good game for Sean Green, although curious play calling by Ken O'Keefe and essentially abandoning the run in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that was a little, I was a little mystified by that. That's probably my biggest question is why they abandoned Sean. Sean did say he was tired a little bit in the fourth quarter, but Ferent said today that that was really not an issue. What they need to do is they need to get another running back involved there too. They just can't keep relying on Sean Green to carry the load. I think Jewel Hampton, I think they would have been smart to have maybe use Jewel a little more in the first half, so Sean would have been a little fresher in the 
second half and what have you. But yeah, I think they maybe kind of gave up on the running game a little bit prematurely. They must have seen something in the passing game, but they obviously still had a little faith that Jake could come in there and do something, which, you know, Jake just failed to, Jake failed to seize this opportunity. And I think had they ran the ball more, that maybe they obviously would have kept some drives going because they had just too many three and outs. So that's probably my biggest question is why they gave up on Sean Green and why they don't try to use another running back a little bit more. The offensive line appeared to play well other than six sacks. Most of those sacks were not due to the offensive line. They were due to two average quarterbacks trying to make something out of nothing because I don't think their receivers are getting open that well either. Well, the play of the receiver is still some key drop balls. Drop balls, and to me, they're not getting any separation, even DJK. That's been the biggest surprise. I, and they also seem to run a lot of the similar routes to where you get two or three receivers in the same part of the field, and half the time you don't know who the quarterbacks are throwing to because you have one receiver here and then maybe another one five yards behind him. They just seem to get all clogged together and what have you, and it just seems to take forever for their routes to develop, which is not what a struggling quarterback needs. Special teams play was almost a complete flip-flop from the Iowa State game. Yeah, that doesn't really surprise me. I'm still, there's going to be inconsistencies on special teams because they're still, I think, feeling themselves out there. They're still trying to identify their best players and what have you. And Ryan Donahue has got to get his act together. He's the one guy I assumed would be, be the guy that they could count on every week. But right now he's got two or three really bad punts at bad times. So I think now you're going to see Trent Musburger kicking field goals full time. I think you'll see Daniel Murray possibly kicking some extra points and what have you. But for the most part, it is... I think it's just still a work in progress. After looking at the new two deeps and hearing from fr what Ferenc had to say at his press conference, what other positions are still somewhat up for grabs at this point? I don't really think there's a lot of positions up for grabs. I mean, I think they've pretty much established. I mean, you got middle linebacker Anger and, and Jacoby Coleman are both kind of battling out a little bit. I think they both bring different things to the position. I think if Jeff Torpinion can stay healthy, he might push Jeremiah Hunter. But it looks like the offensive line has sort of distinguished itself. They've got the five guys they want there. Sean Green and Brett Morris, I think, are solid in the backfield and it'd be nice to see a little more of Trey Strauss I mean he is um, I think once they can get him healthy I think he'll add to the receivers but I don't see a lot of competition now I think they've pretty much identified their starters while we typically focus on the play of the team let's take a moment and reflect on the coaching in the pit game how much do you think coaching and in particular the pers personnel decisions and play calling contributed to the loss I think it maybe contributed some but I I'm just still not convinced had Ricky Stanzi played they were going to win that game I just don't I think that's giving way too much credit to him the play calling I mean, the thing is, if they make that field goal, they win the game. And so none of this is even discussed. There were some questionable play calls. I think sometimes they play not to lose. I think sometimes they play to try to avoid mistakes and what have you. They just get too conservative. So I think maybe some of that. But for the most part, I still say this is an average football team. And when you're an average football team, sometimes you're going to lose games like this. The Big Ten season starts. Iowa is 3-1. and one. This Saturday's game is probably very crucial for Iowa. Northwestern is 4-0. What problems do they pose for the Hawks this Saturday? What do you expect to see, and what are your keys to the game? Well, they're going to spread the offense, like spread the field like they always do on offense. They're going to isolate, get their guys in space. If Terrell Sutton's healthy, they're going to be able to run the ball. They've got a decent quarterback. They're going to score some points and what have you. So they'll, But they also have a pretty good defense this year, but I think it's a little premature because they basically have not played hardly anybody. So I see Iowa winning a close game at home. They beat them last year with Jake playing quarterback on the road. So I see them winning this game. I Actually, I have Iowa going 6-6, six and six, but I have them 4-1. and one. I have them winning this game, and I have them going just like I thought. So the keys, they have to limit turnovers, score early, and they just have to figure out a way to contain Tyrell Sutton, because if they get Sutton going along with that passing game, then they're going to be hard to stop. Any other thoughts? Oh, I just... 
I just think fans, it's, it's frustrating for fans because there was so much hope built into Jake Christensen because he was such a big recruit when he got here. He obviously has not lived up to the hype and fans want so much for that backup quarterback to be the star and I think they're kind of letting that distort their views on things. Nothing against Ricky Stanzi, but I've seen nothing right now that leads me to think that he's going to lead Iowa to the promised land. I do think he deserved to play in the second half of that game because Jake wasn't getting it done, but I just don't think you can assume that they would have won the game because Ricky Stanzi was in there. Hawkeyesmike.com, just for you, the Iowa fan. All sports, all Hawks, all the time. www.hawkeyesmike.com. Call toll-free 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. Just a reminder that following every football game, questions will be posted on HawkeyesMike.com. You can respond to those or offer whatever comments you like. The toll-free hotline will be open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. To have your comments included in the next show, please call by Tuesday evening. Just call 866-74-HAWKS. The new podcasts should be available for listening or downloading later on Wednesdays. Again, to participate, just call 866-74-HAWKS and make your voice heard. Postgame show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it. Today's Hawkeye's Mike program is made possible in part by Prefence Hand Sanitizer, the revolutionary new hand sanitizer that kills bacteria, viruses, and fungi for up to 24 hours with a single application. It contains no alcohol and actually moisturizes hands while protecting you and your family. Go to www.prefence.com. And by Morgan Stanley Financial Advisors of Coralville. Call 319-338-5184 or 800-870-0002 for all your investment needs. And by The Lodge Apartments in Iowa City, the finest in student living, your home away from home. Call 319-358-3500 or go to www.thelodgeatui.com. Saturday marks the opening of the Big Ten Conference season, so before we turn to the Iowa Northwestern game, let's take a look at some interesting Big Ten news. This is the 113th Big Ten season, and Ohio State is trying to do something no one's ever done before. If the Buckeyes win the conference title this year, it will be the first time ever that a team has won four straight conference crowns. Parity has reigned over the Big Ten for the last decade. Eight different teams, including Iowa, have won conference titles either outright or shared. In fact, the title has been shared by at least two teams five times in this span, with a pair of three-team ties as well. Kirk Ferentz ranks second among current Big Ten coaches in this regard, with the Hawkeyes having won the title both in 2002 and 2004. The Big Ten's non-conference season was another success. Big Ten teams have compiled a 31-8 mark so far, with five more non-conference games remaining. The conference has a chance to surpass the modern-era record of 35 non-conference wins prior to postseason play. That record was set 
just last year. Another interesting note, at least for the moment, Penn State coach Joe Paterno, in his 43rd season, claimed sole possession of the all-time victory record among football bowl subdivision coaches. He has 376 victories and a career record of 376, 125, and 3. Florida State's Bobby Bowden is now second with 375 wins. This Saturday's game in Iowa City is Iowa's 97th homecoming, and it will be the 10th time the Hawks have hosted the Wildcats in a homecoming contest. The Hawkeyes are 51-40-5 overall in homecoming games, and their all-time record against Northwestern is 46-20-3. The Hawks had won seven straight homecoming games until Indiana beat them last year at Kinnick. The last time the Cats journeyed to Iowa City, they got head coach Pat Fitzgerald his first career Big Ten victory against Iowa, and over the past few years, for the most part, this has been a tough game for the Hawks. Iowa had to come from behind last year in Evanston to grab a 28-17 win, which snapped a two-game losing streak to the Cats. Coach Kirk Ferentz now seems to be admitting he may have made an error in judgment in not letting Rick Stanzi play at least part of the second half against Pitt last Saturday because he's named Rick the starter for the Northwestern game. And while Ferentz didn't say so to the media, Stanzi indicated that Kirk told him he would be playing the entire 60 minutes against the Wildcats that he would get his chance without having to look over his shoulder. Stanzi will also get most of the reps with the first team in practice this week. That should help with offensive continuity and timing with the receivers. Iowa seriously needs to develop not just a good passing game, but a vertical passing game as well, with more big plays, and ultimately it needs to just start scoring more points. Significant improvement in third down conversions is also critical. Christensen has simply failed to show that he can consistently perform at this level. Maintain that offensive continuity will also help take some of the pressure and some of the punishment off of Sean Green and will also allow the defense to get more rest during games. It also looks like the battle for the starting kicking job is over, with true freshman Trent Mossbrucker locking up the job on field goals and PATs, while Daniel Murray will continue to handle kickoffs. Mossbrucker this season is 5 of 6, his only missed field goal coming on a block. And it appears that for the first time this season, Iowa may have all of its players back on the field, most key injuries seem to be healed. Northwestern is 4-0 for the first time since 1962. They are playing a very aggressive defense, only allowing an average of 298 yards and 11.2 points a game. That's pretty darn good. They are forcing a lot of turnovers, and they have had very solid special teams play. They have one of the Big Ten's best runners in senior running back Tyrell Sutton, who always seems to be a thorn in Iowa's side. They run a version of that spread offense that always seems to create difficult for the Hawks, and they have scored 100% of the time this season when they've been in the red zone. Iowa has also seen plenty of their starting veteran quarterback, C.J. Bechet, though he has struggled a little bit early this year. Their leading receiver is another solid veteran, senior Eric Peterman, who also seems to play well against Iowa. I believe this is one of the most critical games of the year for the Hawks, and perhaps one of the most important in recent years for Kirk Ferentz. As the last few Iowa Northwestern games have shown, it will also likely be a very tough and close game as well. A loss here would really set this young team back, especially going on the road the next two weeks against Indiana and Michigan State. A win, on the other hand, restores a lot of confidence that may have been dented in the pit game and lets Iowa go into those next two road games feeling much better about itself. This game also gives Ricky Stanzi a chance to establish himself a quarterback and see if Iowa can build some continuity in its offensive attack. The home crowd at Kinnick can also be a big play in this homecoming contest. All part of God's great plan. Brightest in to punt. 
Rodell back inside his 20. This is the eighth punt for Dave Brightus. I'm Ken O'Keefe. I'm thinking about putting Reese Stanzi in there. He's the better passer. Ten Hawkeyes on the line of scrimmage, but they don't do the full-out block attempt. Rodell lets it go. And it goes out inside the one. The perfect punt for Brightus. So Sean Green, 147 yards on the ground. That is a new career high but for Iowa. But Pittsburgh gets it done as they beat the Hawkeyes by the final score of 21 to 20. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the game highlights, and thanks to our regular contributors, Marv Cook and Pat Hardy. We hope you've enjoyed this Hawkeyes Mike podcast, that you'll come back for more, and that you'll participate by phoning and making your own voice heard, 866-74-HAWKS. That's 866-74-HAWKS. We encourage new callers, phone into Hawkeyes Mike, make yourself heard, then listen to yourself on the show. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com. For Iowa fans, by Iowa fans. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.